Hey, thanks for tuning in. My name is Ainsley. And my name is Peyton. Welcome to Chomp Talk's Bits and Pieces, an all-sports skaters podcast. All right, welcome to the sixth episode of Chomp Talk's Bits and Pieces. I am Peyton Titus. Here with Graham Marsh, who I have been working with at the Alligator for a while. He's on the men's basketball beat for us this season. And uh, we're both from Jacksonville, so we bond over um, the hardships of being Jaguars fans. Um, How's it going, Graham? Oh, it's not too bad, other than being a Jags fan, other than having to decide every day if my NFL team is tanking or not. Um, But besides that, uh, not, not too bad, Peyton. Yeah, I wish it would be more clear, like Miami or something, instead of being like, oh, we can't afford a rebuilding year as they give away, like, everyone and everything. But anyway, um, so yeah, Greg, tell us a little bit about uh, what you've been up to lately, um, and then we can get into uh, Gators in the NFL as the league starts back up this week. Yeah, so, um, so obviously – with the summer having just recently wrapped up. I finished my second summer interning at 1010XL um, 92.5 FM, which is the flagship radio station of the Jaguars in Jacksonville. Um, I really enjoyed doing that. Uh, love working with everybody there. Um, obviously, I'm back with you at the Alligator uh, covering men's basketball this year. It's the biggest beat I've covered for the Alligator, so I'm really excited to do that. Um, and I will be covering Gator football once again for Sports Illustrated. Um, that's always fun. I will be shooting more videos for the athletic department at UF for Gator Vision. Um, and then also uh, starting this fall, actually starting literally in two days, um, I am producing a high school show, high school football show, that will be going, it's a 30-minute show, that will be going on uh, the CW-17 um in Jacksonville every Saturday morning so that's kind of a new thing um but yeah that's pretty much what I've been up to that's cool I didn't know you were doing that with the CW yeah it was kind of a recent it's been sort of a recent trend but uh but yeah we've been doing a whole lot of work to get it started and it's basically just a roundup show um we we go to like a big high school football game like we're going to Trinity Bowls uh this Friday obviously Trinity Bowls you know you don't get much bigger than that in Jacksonville football Right. And then we also just round up other games. Um, you know, Ponte Vedra Nice are Ponte Vedra Nice are playing. Atlantic Coast and Mandarin are playing. If you're not from Jacksonville, I apologize because these names might not mean anything to you. But basically, it's just a a, a roundup show um, of of high school football. And I feel like that's going to be interesting this season with FHSAA deciding to play sports when they did. I guess like when they started, because I feel like. Um, the announcement when I was reading about that on some like local station in Jack's website or something was like, yeah, they made this decision to start at this point instead of like three weeks later against the unanimous recommendations of their medical advisory board. I was like, unanimous? Like nobody's unanimous about anything anymore and you're still going to be like, no, we got it. We can keep going. Like no big deal. Yeah. It it was, it was really interesting because um, obviously with our show, you know, our, our show revolves around when we have games. And if games aren't happening, we have no show. Um, so, I mean, we were just kind of sitting around in limbo, not sure what was going to happen. We weren't sure if the season was going to get, um, you know, postponed a lot, if it was going to start in October, if it was going to start on time. We really didn't know. Um, and then, obviously, the decision – I mean, it still didn't start on time because if it started on time, it would have started weeks ago. Um but the, the because on it, I mean, I'm sure you know this, but some games were played last Friday in Jacksonville. Like really, like really small, some like really small private schools played. Not a whole, not a whole lot of teams played. Really, the your big dogs start to play this Friday. But yeah, it was it was kind of interesting, and I think you had a big tug of war between the northern part of the state and the southern part of the state, um, because I think you. In South Florida, most counties and districts did not want to play. 
but in North Florida, pretty much every county and district did want to play. So that gave you this weird kind of, and they, they, there were ideas floated around about different start times and realigning, realigning the playoffs so that you would play only teams in your region. And then it was a whole, a whole big thing, but yeah, starting September 11th and we're, we're pretty much full speed ahead after they made that decision. That's exciting. Well, I guess the day that this will air, it will be the first day of the NFL season. Um, who is playing tonight slash tomorrow night? Tonight the uh, Chiefs play. I actually forgot who they play, but I know the Chiefs play at home. And actually, interestingly enough, this weekend, the Chiefs and the Jags are the only two teams that will have home fans. Mm, that is interesting. Um, Chiefs-Texans tomorrow night. Mm. To kick off Thursday Night Football, that'll be in Kansas City. Um, and then they are having limited fans. But then on Sunday, the only NFL stadium that's going to have fans in it is the Jaguars. One of those fans will be myself. That's kind of ironic, though, that the Jags will be a team to have more fans than other NFL teams. Yeah, that doesn't happen often. At any point in time, yeah. What's not ironic at all is that they're at 25% capacity and they still haven't sold out. Ah, uh, yep. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that man. That seems more on brand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there it is. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's get into kind of, um, you know, some of – there's a lot of Gators on – uh, Jacksonville's roster. I mean, oh, yeah. um, CJ is of course there, um, and then Josh Hammond. He he signed with the what the practice squad, right? Yeah, Josh Hammond made the practice squad. He's not on the official fifty-three, but he is my practice squad. Yeah, and so I mean, based on you know, I don't watch the NFL. I don't cover professional sports. I don't do any of that. I don't like it. So, pardon my ignorance. But based on um, you know, your kind of your experience, you know covering the Jaguars unofficially officially a mixture of both um what does it mean for Josh Hammond who was super reliable during his time at Florida what does it mean for him to sign to this practice squad so to be honest with you Ainsley I was a little bit surprised he made the practice squad um and it's it has nothing to do with Josh Hammond's ability at all and it has everything to do with as little depth as the Jags have everywhere, they have a lot of depth at receiver. Mm -hmm. It's really the only position on the roster that they really have good players top to bottom. Um, you have DJ Chark, who's arguably – I don't even think it's arguably anymore. He's a top ten receiver in the NFL. You drafted LaVisca Chennault in the second round. You drafted Colin Johnson in the sixth round. And Colin Johnson, by all reports in camp, has been incredible. He's been one of the biggest surprises of camp. Colin Johnson, 6'6", six, six, receiver out of Texas. Um, that that every reporter that's been at practice has just raved about. So you have those three guys. You have D.D. Westbrook is back. Chris Conley is back. So you're talking about a loaded receiver. Um, so with Josh Hammond being an undrafted guy, I was kind of surprised the Jags even picked him up after, after the draft as an undrafted free agent. Um, and it, it was kind of one of those things where you look at it immediately and you're like, oh, he's not going to make it. He has no chance. Um, but for him to make the practice squad, as you said, does speak to his reliability. It does speak to the fact that if you've watched Gator games the past couple of years, you know that he does not drop passes. Um, so all of that said, it, it's a huge deal for him to make the practice squad because if he can make the practice squad on a roster that's that deep at receiver, you know, if, if he doesn't end up getting pulled up if he ends up getting cut and has to go somewhere else, that, that tells you that he probably can have a future on an NFL roster, but whether it be special teams or actually playing wide receiver in some sort of, in some sort of fashion. Sure. And then with CJ Henderson, um, you know, when we were on the alligator staff last season, we kind of did like a mock draft and I, I was, I can't remember, was it you or Peyton that had the, the Jaguars? I think you guys had to like flip a coin for it. It was Peyton. Peyton got the Jags. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like I think like everybody kind of knew that Henderson might kind of end up in that right in that area with the Jaguars, but I think a lot of us were like we don't want to be homers like I'm not yeah. going to pick the Gator because in, in our little mock draft. Um but CJ Henderson going what was that ninth? That was ninth, yep, ninth right? overall. Yeah. Um you know, apparently he's had a pretty successful camp as well, which, you know, truth be told, kind of surprised me a little bit. I think he had a kind of lackadaisical last uh, campaign at Florida. A lot of people, a lot of the theories where he was protecting his body, yada, yada, yada. Um, so what is what have you kind of been hearing about his progress over um, as he gets ready for, for his professional debut? So CJ at Jags camp has had good days and bad days. He has had days where you watch him and you really think – again, I, I'm not there at practice, but I hear these reports mm-hmm. all the time. Um, there's been days where the guys that are practice will come to the station and they'll be like, man, like like he's special. And then there will be days where it's like, man, CJ really struggled today. Um, and, you know, that's, that's typical for a rookie. Um, but I also think that a lot of Jags media and fans are a little bit spoiled – when it comes to rookie corner play, because the last one they had was Jalen Ramsey and Jalen Ramsey was just different. Like he was a, he was an elite corner day one. And that is really, really, really rare. That almost never happens. I mean, you, you look at the other best corners in the league, look at Stefan Gilmore. Stefan Gilmore was really not elite till a couple of years ago. Um, even he, he had, he went through some growing pains and he was good, but he was never what he's considered to be now, which is like a top three corner in football. So I bring that up to bring it back to CJ. Um, Yes, he's had great days. Yes, he's shown flashes. The issue with CJ is that the Jaguars are going to rely on him being their number one corner. He is going to guard the best receiver every game. I, I personally, just my opinion, I don't think he's ready for that. Now, does that mean he won't make plays? Does that mean that he won't have a couple interceptions throughout the year? Does that mean he may not? force a few fumbles and have decent games. No, he, he can absolutely do that. I think he's perfectly capable of doing that at the same time. Don't be surprised if he has games where at the end of the game, for example, the, the Jaguars play the Colts week one, he's got to cover T Y Hilton. That's a tall task for your first NFL game. T Y Hilton is really, really good. Um, it was kind of like when Jalen Ramsey was in Jacksonville, his first assignment was Deandre Hopkins who is no longer in Houston. He's in Arizona. Um, but, you know, the the point stands. He's got – CJ's going to have to guard A.J. Brown in, in Tennessee when they play the Titans, who's really good. And he's going to have to guard other, other really good receivers, and that's the whole point. Um, and he, he struggled sometimes in camp. Uh, there was one day where Elon Cole, um, who, who's a decent receiver, but he's not, you know, he's not a top – 10 receiver or anything. Keelan Cole got the best of him a couple of routes in a row and CJ just got frustrated and got the better of him. And CJ just popped him and just knocked him straight to the ground. And it was all over Twitter. It was a whole viral thing. Like, Oh, that's a dirty play. You know, you shouldn't be hitting your own teammates, whatever. It was a whole thing. I personally don't mind that at all. I feel like if it's, if it's training camp, guys get pissed, you get annoyed. It happens. Um, but all of that said, I, I do agree with you that I don't, I don't particularly think his last year in Florida at Florida was all that great. Um, yeah, I mean, if you watch just the Florida State game, if Florida State had an offensive line that could block literally anybody, and if Florida State had a quarterback, Tamron Terry, Florida State's best receiver, he could have had 250 yards receiving in that game. He was beating C.J. Henderson every single and. And again, like you said, you, you're not wrong. There were some theories about protecting his body and whatever, and that was his that was his last game at Florida because he knew he wasn't going to play in the bowl game at that point. But like, if we're being honest, we we all knew he was not going to play in the bowl game. Um, but as far as the Jaguar front and drafting him, and and you're talking about our our mock draft. Um, first of all, Dave Caldwell, the Jags GM, loves his Gators. He just drafts Gators on Gators on Gators. I mean, he drafted uh, he drafted Taven Ryan two years ago in the first round. Um, and you pair that with 
the fact that Jalen Ramsey was out the door and A.J. Boye was out the door and your best corner was an undrafted free agent in Trey Herndon, who played well last year, but still he's your best corner, your best outside corner. Your best corner is DJ Hayden, who's nickel. But you pair that with the fact that Jeff Okuda, the Ohio State cornerback, was already gone. And you pair that with the fact that CJ was the number two cornerback on everybody's board. And then you look at the fact that Dave, that Dave Caldwell loves his Gators. When they picked up, I was not surprised in the least because of all the Right. Uh, but um, I, I still like the pick. Um, because I think that he was the best available corner, and I think that they desperately needed a corner. I think it was almost non-negotiable that you had to get a corner in the first round or two rounds. And, again, according to all the boards, it was it was Jeff Okuda at number one, it was C.J. Henderson at number two, and then, like, a huge gap between two and three. So it was like, if you don't get your corner now, you're going to really be hurting in the back end this year. So all of that said uh, – yeah, CJ's had kind of an up and down camp, but overall, I think shown a lot of promise and shown that he will end up eventually being a really good corner in this league. Yeah, and I know that you and I, despite um, you know me not being a huge NFL person, you know I share you know an adoration for Gardner Minshew, mainly because of, of his gorgeous smile. He has the best teeth in the league, and I'll go to my grave with that. Um, of course, I but agree. I mean. I mean, the whole tanking thing that you discuss, you know, is that – are you guys going to tank for Trevor? Uh, it's a whole convoluted thing. I'm telling you, I've heard – with the amount of sports talk radio I end up listening to by working at, at 1010, I have – the amount of different takes I've heard on this is unbelievable. Um, but uh, the, the best description that I've heard um, – in regards to tanking, and I completely agree with this. Because some pe- some people will tell you that a lot of teams tank. Like, some people will tell you that straight up. I don't think that's true, but some people will say that. You know, they cut one guy, they think are pretty good, and, and somebody's like, oh, oh, they're tanking, they're tanking. Other people think nobody ever tanks. I don't necessarily think that's true either. Because, I mean, here's the truth. Players never tank players and coaches do not tank that does not happen in the nfl ever organizations do organizations tank owners and gms especially gms that know that they have a job next year which is another that's a that's another conversation with dave caldwell with with owners and general managers knowing that their players and coaches will not take. They know that whatever player and coach they put out there is going to give 100%. What they do at the organizational level is they strip the roster down to its studs, knowing that that roster has no chance to win. No chance to win. And what, that's really the only way you can explain cutting Leonard Fournette, trading Ronnie Harrison, letting Calais Campbell walk, letting A.J. Boye walk. I mean, the people that are out the door, the list goes on and on and on and on. Literally, the 2017 team that went to the AFC Championship, that defense that was so great, there's two guys on the roster right now that were on that 2017 team. Two guys, that's it. And only one starter. Miles Jack is the only starter left. And – and then the other thing is, well, people will say, oh, well, you know, they're, they're paying Leonard Fournette too much money. That's why they cut him. Or Ronnie Harrison was kind of a locker room problem. That's why they cut him. Or Ronnie Harrison was getting outplayed by undrafted free agents, and that's why they traded him. Well, okay, that's fine. But if that's the case, then why did those two guys take first-team reps up until the day they left the team? That's what doesn't make any sense. Why would you let Leonard Fournette be your number one running back all throughout training camp, and then the day training camp ends, let him walk? That doesn't make any sense unless you're trying to tank. And, again, I don't think Doug Marone is tanking. I don't think – I clearly don't think Gardner Minshew is tanking. I don't think the rest of the team is tanking. Do I think that Dave Caldwell probably wouldn't mind having Trevor Lawrence on this team next year? Yeah, Uh, I, I, I think he would totally do that. 
So the moves point to tanking, but when you watch the Jaguars play on Sunday, it, are the Jags going to like not try? Like, no, that's clearly not happening. Um, they're just, but they're just not very talented. That's just the facts. Like, I, I don't, I don't see any way this team wins more than like three or four games at the most. It's very, it's a very grim outlook. Uh, I mean, trust <laughs> me, as someone who's been, as someone who's like been around this team and what they're capable of and more importantly what they're not capable of I that that's just I feel like that's and, and you look you look also the biggest issue the Jaguars had last year was stopping the run on defense they could not stop the run um I mean all you got to do is watch the two Titans games and you'll know that um well the first game they actually played good defense on but anyway if you look throughout the, the last couple of years and you watch Derek Henry play the Jaguars you can tell the Jaguars can't stop the run um, so Marcel Darius, who is your main run stuffer, who's your main big old defensive tackle that commands a double team. He's out the door. He's gone. Peleus Campbell, your, your big end. He's gone. Um, and then you brought in Al Woods and Rodney Gunter, two free agents that were supposed to help you with that, with both of those losses. Well, Al Woods opted out of the season for coronavirus and Rodney Gunther very tragically actually discovered a couple weeks ago that he has a heart condition and he had to retire. Um, so that's super sad for him, obviously. And obviously you, you know, with both of those reasons, you, you can't fault those players at all. If you, if you want to opt out of the season, uh, absolutely. Um, but from speaking from a football perspective, that really hurt the Jaguars. Um, so you talk about their inability to stop the run in a division that loves to run the football. And then you cut your main running back. And you already have questions about your offensive line. Yeah, I, I just – I think that realistically predicting the Jaguars to win more than four or five games is silly. So the Jaguars' outlook isn't great. What about – Florida basketball, um, you know, who has had this roller coaster of a season last year. Um, and obviously you've got the, the fire Mike White hive and all of that good stuff. And now you sprinkle in the fact that Billy Donovan is homeless and you just get this cluster of wonder as we, you know, as these guys get back to campus and, you know, start preparing for their season. Um, so I guess let's let's just start with what you know based on the little bit of information that you have so far. Obviously, that you know we're only so far into what Florida basketball has to get going and get doing. Uh, had a couple of transfers over the off season. Um, you've covered a little bit of you know the Black Lives Matter movement, which Florida basketball was heavily involved with, and then we'll get into the Billy Donovan stuff. Um, but yeah, so give us a little bit of scoop of what's going on there in the O-Dome, and um, we'll fill in the blanks from there. So, I mean, it's hard to give a scoop of what's going on at the O-Dome because I don't think anyone can ever give a super accurate scoop of what's going on at the O-Dome because that team, the way they're supposed to look in the offseason and the way they end up looking is always just a night and day difference. Um, however, that said, obviously, um, obviously Andrew Nemhart's gone. Obviously, Kerry Blackshear's gone. Um, I like. I don't want to sound too hot takey when I say this, but I, like I do genuinely think both of them being gone might be better than it is worse um, for this team for for a couple of reasons. First, I think last year the two of them were clearly your vocal leadership, um, and. That's not a bad thing. I think both of those guys are good leaders. But they were your vocal leaders, and the team still wasn't very good. So clearly something wasn't great as far as the locker room chemistry. Clearly something was not working. Um, the other reason and the bigger reason that I think that it's actually a good thing that they won't be playing for the Gators anymore is that I think that style-wise – because, okay, last year, Kerry Blackshear and Andrew Nemhard could have arguably been your two best players, but your two most talented players, your two players with the highest ceiling, were Scotty Lewis and Keontae Johnson. Keontae Johnson and Scotty Lewis play an entirely different brand of basketball than Andrew Nemhard and 
Harry Blackshear. And to me, that's the reason they struggled so much last year. You had two of your best players playing a completely different style from your two other best players. And that's clearly not going to work. And that's one criticism that's been of Mike White throughout his tenure at Florida is that he has recruited incredibly well, but he has not necessarily recruited guys that play well together. Um, and I don't know if that's, if that's on coaching and if that's, if you're supposed to change that when they get in the building or if you're supposed to just not recruit guys that won't fit, fit your system. But I mean, it's hard to not recruit a five-star point guard, right? I mean, Andrew Nemhard wants to come to your school. You're, you're going to let him come, right? He's a, he's a five-star point guard. So like that, that makes sense. But you're also dealing with Trey Mann, who plays a more similar style to Scotty Lewis and Keontae Johnson, who is coming back. And those guys, I think, this year, I don't know how much better they'll be, but I do think you'll see a much faster, more athletic brand of basketball. And it'll be more exciting, at least. I know that. Because – Watching Kerry Blackshear play basketball wasn't exactly exciting. Um, but I, I like the the tempo I think they're, they're going to play with, and I think that a team that's more athletically driven and led by more athletically gifted guys suits a Mike White team better anyway because he's such a defensive heavy guy. Um, and you're, dealing, you're, just, you're simply just dealing with bodies that can defend better. Um, so on that front, I like that. Uh, the Castleton transfer, I don't, I don't know how that'll turn out for as far as now, but I do know, that, I do know that there are, there like there's a spot available if you are a good big man at Florida. There's not a whole lot of depth of that position right now, um, but of course, part of the reason Castleton transferred was he wasn't playing a whole lot. So that's not to say he won't be entirely different here. I think that he could be. I, I just think that. For him, it'll be about the defensive end being able to be what Mike White wants as a big man um, and then being able to run the floor with those faster guys, uh, again, like Scotty and, and Keontae Johnson. Um, if he can do those two things, then, then I see him being a, a real factor for Florida. That was my frustration, I feel like, watching the team last season, season um, particularly with Nemhard and Blackshear was I did feel like they were the leadership on the team but watching Kerry Blackshear play it felt like he was trying to teach people on the court way too often yes give them the opportunities to improve but then they couldn't deliver and so then rather than him taking charge he was just like okay this is a lesson and that's what I got out of watching it and that was frustrating to me like yes having such a highly coveted transfer come here if he's just gonna like let everybody else keep doing what they've already been doing this whole time. Um, and then Andrew Nemhard, I feel like his freshman year, he playing the point, he was able to progress and not play as slowly and not stop at the top of the key and dribble the ball into the ground all the time as much as he had at the beginning of the season. And then I felt like over summer he went to Canada and I was like, okay, this is going to be a good chance to come back. He won't have lost any momentum from last season. And then like the exact opposite happened. And he was basically playing the same style of basketball that he played at the very beginning of his freshman year. And I was like, this is not what we needed from you. So yes, I agree in all those aspects. And I do think that last season, the most fun players to watch were Keontae Johnson because he the only person on the whole flipping team drive into the paint and Scotty Lewis with his LeBron-esque blocks. <laughs> so I am excited to see how this team does this year. And I hope that they can silence the fire Mike White hive or at least like muffle them. Um, but I am worried that this news about Billy Donovan, this very like shocking unexpected weird news out of OKC that he's they've decided to mutually part ways um does not like reignite the fire yeah no I was gonna say as, as long as as long as Billy Donovan is unemployed the fire Mike White the fire Mike White talks are not gonna slow down 
um, whether it's justified or not, it, 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 it's going to get talked about if Billy Donovan's unemployed. That said, I don't think Billy Donovan will be unemployed for very long. Um, so, so I wrote an article on this the other day, or I guess that was literally yesterday, wasn't it? Um, that was last night, like late last night. Like Yeah, yeah. geez, time, <laughs> I, that literally feels like three days. I've done so much between then and now, like preparing for this show, that literally feels like three days ago. Um, but anyway, uh, so with Billy Donovan, I, I was looking at it, and I actually don't hate the idea that he's gone, because it really, because, you know, you always hear, you always hear the mutually agreed to part ways, and you're like, okay, he got fired. Um, but but re- kind of reading reading into it, I, I really don't know if it was necessarily that way. Um, Sam Presti, the president of the Thunder, uh, his statement basically talked about how Billy's contract was over, um, his contract expired, and he said, obviously I'm just paraphrasing here, but he said basically with with how the Thunder's future looks, because they're a very young team, they don't have one particular star that's other than Chris Paul, who's not going to be in the league for much longer. Um, they're a very young team. They're kind of looking towards maybe not a full rebuild, but kind of like a partial rebuild. Um, and I think they're at least two or three years away from being a legitimate contender, um, and at least two or three players away. Um, and Billy Donovan at this point in his career is looking for something more immediate. I don't think that Billy Donovan necessarily wanted to be in another rebuild for the long haul because Billy Donovan's looking at it and saying, I'm 55 years old. Um, does he necessarily want to go through another four or five year process it takes to rebuild? Like probably not. And I think that's understandable. But at the same time, that's just where the Thunder are as an organization. So that said, I really do think if there is a way to mutually agree to part ways, I think this was it. Um, you also look at the fact that Billy Donovan's first year, they went to the Western Conference Finals. He had Kevin Durant and, and Russell Westbrook, and they took the Warriors to seven games. And they should have won that series. Um, then that offseason, after Billy's first year there, Kevin Durant goes to the Warriors. Um Obviously, as a coach, that's a huge blow. You're, you're losing literally, at, the, at that point in time, I think, the second best player in basketball. And then you have a couple years of not really doing much winning at all, but Russell Westbrook just absolutely lighting up the stat sheet, averaging a triple-double two years in a row, winning an MVP. Um, but it wasn't contributing to winning basketball. Um, you had a guy that was averaging a triple-double, and you were going – about 500 every year and not making it out of the first round of the playoffs. So it's like, okay, Russell Westbrook is playing great basketball, but we're not really winning, not winning to the level that anybody wants to. I mean, I don't think, I don't think the first round is anybody's end game. Um, and then obviously last year you had the Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook trade. Um, that changed things up a bit. I, I think Billy Donovan was just kind of spent. Um, and I think the Thunder might've just kind of been spent too. And I think both, parties could could use a change of scenery um that said we were talking about the gators i'm sure scott strickland is just loving his mentions right now uh i know that he's he just loves that he just loves hearing every single gator fan be like bring bring billy back bring billy back bring billy back um and honestly it'd be a great move for florida but billy does not want to come back to college basketball and he has said that already um, there's already been multiple reports that he doesn't really have an interest in coming back to college basketball. Um, I think that's probably for two reasons, because first being in the NBA is considered correct or not. It, it is considered the Mecca of coaching. Um, which again, I don't know if that's even necessarily accurate. Like is coach K a better coach than Greg Popovich? I don't know. That's kind of an interesting debate. Um, but the biggest thing for him, I think, is, again, he's 55 years old, does – and I'm not – I don't mean to say 55 like it's, you know, like he's on his deathbed. But I'm just saying, as a 55-year-old grown man, do you want to be spending hours upon hours upon hours on the road recruiting in high school kids' homes, telling them to come to your program when you've been dealing with grown adults in the NBA? 
Probably not. Um, and then you pair that with the fact that the Philadelphia, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Chicago Bulls are already really interested. So literally the night that he gets fired, he has two other organizations that are, that are interested in his services. You put all that together, he's not coming back to Florida. Florida fans can put that to rest. I'm sure for them it's fun to dream, but that's not happening. Um, so, so, yeah, that's pretty much where I think where we are in the Billy Donovan front. Is it? I, I, I've considered it maybe a little bit. I, and it's just my opinion. I'm just kind of spitballing. But I kind of think and would like to see what you think. You know, is it possible that we've seen Billy Donovan coach his last basketball game? No, I don't. I think uh, you probably saw Ainsley. You probably saw Chris Harry tweet that he thinks he takes a year off. Yeah, um, I did see that. I think I think that's a given. Honestly, I do. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could see him taking a year off. Um, I think it really depends uh, because I think, you know, right after your contract ends and, um, you know, obviously I'm sure they didn't finish in the bubble the way that they wanted to. I think it'd be easy. It'd be easy to kind of think, yeah, I want to take a year off. I think it's harder to think that when the Chicago Bulls or the, or the 76ers offer you a contract and they say, will you be our coach? Um, now, granted, none of us can really tell because we're not, we're not in his head. Um, I think taking a year off could happen. I do think that's possible. I do not think he's coached his last game. Um, Cause again, I mean, you've got guys that are coaching into their seventies and eighties. And I think, I think just the way Billy's wired, I think he loves the grind. I think that he loves to work. Um, and I just think he enjoys it too much. I don't think it's about the money for him or anything like that. I just think that he, as a person, clearly loves developing guys and coaching the game of basketball. And that's just, that that's who he is. That's what he loves as a coach. So personally, just a prediction, I would say that we have not seen him coach his last basketball game, a, a pretty strong prediction. I don't think he's seen, we'll see him coach his, his last game. Taking a year off though, I think could be a realistic possibility. Yeah, I just know, like, uh, Muffet McGraw out of Notre Dame, she's a women's basketball coach there. Um, you know, she stepped down and retired after all this stuff. Obviously, two very, you know, different ends of the spectrum. You've got one who's a women's, you know, college basketball coach. The other's, you know, like you said, in the, the mecca of coaching, of basketball coaching in the NBA. But yeah. I just – I think, like, the COVID stuff has really changed the perspective of a lot of these people. And like you said – I mean, I, I've talked to Billy D a couple of times, and he is, he is wired very differently than a lot of coaches. Like, he's so oh, – extremely differently. Yeah, he's – like, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of, like, trashing other coaches, but he's so put together and just sounds so intelligent and has, like, all of these – like, he's, so, he's very, like, philosophical almost. And so I feel like he's a guy who really gets into his head sometimes about what he's doing and where he's heading. Um, so I can't help to think that – you know, he, he might be, you know, trying to do something different, but, um, you know, it is what he does and it's all he's known, I guess. And he's very successful at it. So it's kind of hard to step away. And I think you said, I think the 76ers, I think that, you know, with the team that they have, I think that is going to be really hard for him to turn down. Yeah, I'd agree. And um, yeah, I I do agree. I think the 76ers are, are a more attractive job and they'd be a more attractive job to him than, than the Bulls. Because the Bulls, the Bulls, you have Zach Levine, but that's pretty much about it. The 76ers, I think, are maybe a player or just a better coached team away from being a real contender. Because they, the 76ers have been that team that we've been saying, the 76ers and the Bucks, and those teams that we've been saying, you know, watch out for these teams, watch out for them, watch out for them. Second round, they're done. Um, so... I, I do think that that would be a really interesting job for him. Let me see what else we got here. Um... So I guess, you know, back to, back to Florida basketball. So we can kind of tie it up here. Um, We've talked about what kind of we saw from the team last year and what we might see from the team this year. 
And, you know, we talk about the fire Mike Whitehive and we talk about Billy Donovan coming back to Gainesville and everything. But I think what the big question is, it, you know, to kind of put a cap on everything, is how hot is Mike White's seat this year? Uh, that's interesting because it's – I think it's always – because here's the thing. To the fan base, it's been scorching since the day that you showed up. Um, but really the question is how hot it would be to Strickland, obviously. Um, I, I think that another year of what's considered a big disappointment, because I think that's fair to call last year a big disappointment. Um, if an, another year where the expectation is really high and you end up just kind of an average SEC team at the end of the year, I think that would be it for him. So that said, I, the the seat is not um, – the seat is not fully done, but it is preheating. It's preheating. If we're trying to cook something at 400 degrees right now, the seat's at about 350. So I'd, I'd say that's about where he's at right now. I think he's one more season away from – one more disappointing season away from calling it, calling it probably a career at Florida. That said, I think if he just has an okay year, he'll be back. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the time, and I don't know, I'm, I'm not one that would advocate for, like, because there are some people who just want instantaneous change and radical change when things are not going. And, and by people, I mean, like, fan bases, I guess, when things are not going the way that they feel they should be going. Um, but I do think sometimes that those back-to-back championships that Billy Donovan brought to Gainesville – make people forget that Florida is not a blue blood basketball school and it never has been. And so when a coach like Mike White comes in and pretty much starts off in terms of like making the tournament and going however far in the tournament, a lot like Billy Donovan did, um, like people are just not satisfied with that. So I do sometimes like they might not go as far in the tournament as anybody would want or anticipate or whatever. And that's fine to be frustrated about, but I think calling for a new head coach in that position is a little bit crazy to me because I feel like what like what do you expect to get out of that? I feel like who are you gonna who are you gonna replace him with? And like what do you I don't know. It just to me I'm like Yes, if there's another season like last season where you're like preseason number six in the AP poll and then you look like the tournament is not a guarantee, like at the point in the season that they got to before COVID canceled everything, like that's that's bad. If that happens again, like, yeah, things could change and think that could warrant change. But I feel like people being talking about, oh, we only made it like this far in the tournament or we barely made the tournament, like, We'll fire Mike White. I'm like, that's kind of crazy, you guys. Like, yeah. you still made the tournament. Like, it's Florida basketball. It's not Duke. It's not North Carolina. It's not Kentucky. Like, yes, you want better for your team, but, like, you can't expect Final Fours and Elite Eights all around every year. Yeah. So, the only the only, the only only way I'd push back on that is not – because I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you. Um, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Um, the only place I, I push back on that is, is two, kind of two things. My my issue with Mike White has never necessarily been not enough win, not enough wins, or not living up to Billy Donovan because I don't think I I agree with you. I don't think that's realistic. Um, however, my one issue with Mike White, especially coming back to this past year is he doesn't really have any sort of identity as a coach. It, people say that it's, that it's being an elite defensive team, but, I mean, last year they were not at all an elite defensive team. They were a borderline bad defensive team. For a lot of the year, they were a bad defensive team. And, and a coach that has a defensive identity 
doesn't have his team just give up easy layups in the paint because of lapses in concentration and not knowing when to double team and when not to and not knowing when to switch and when not to. Um, and then the other thing is more of a kind of a broad scope. I, I do agree with you, and it, it is common thought that, like, listen, Florida's not Duke. Florida's not UNC. Florida's not Kansas. And you, you're absolutely right. And expecting Florida to be at that standard is not realistic. And you're, you're absolutely right on that. The only thing I would say to that is Duke and Carolina and Kansas and any blue blood basketball program, they were not always blue bloods. There was a point where a coach came in and made them a blue blood. What is Duke basketball without Coach K? What is Carolina basketball without Dean Smith? So that said, I again, I, like I, I'm not trying to sound like I'm disagreeing with you because because I'm not. I'm just saying I don't think that can be a justification for not for for fire for not firing somebody. But I do think that at some point you have to say, okay, we need to move in a different direction because we, we have seen our ceiling with this guy. Um, but, but again, I think both of those things can be true. I think you can be realistic about your program and understand that making the elite eight every year is just not going to happen when you're a tier two basketball program. Cause that's what Florida is while also saying, well, we can still try for more. That said, Mike White right now, to me, is in kind of that weird gray area where he's been there long enough to where you can argue he's had his chance. But at the same time, it's not like he's been bad. They've been in the tournament every year. They've had a Sweet 16 run. So there's kind of a weird gray area there where it's kind of – tough and that, that's why when Ainsley originally asked me how hot is his seat it's kind of an interesting back and forth because I can't quite say that it's scorching but I can't quite say that he's completely safe because I think that saying he's completely safe to me is just as ridiculous as saying that his seat is scorching right now and saying that he's got to have some magical year to keep his job I don't agree with that either but I do think – I think kind of the ceiling for Florida as a program right now would be you make the tournament every year with the – you know, sometimes star player tears an ACL, you just suck that year. That, that happens. Almost every time you make the tournament. And then every three, four years you make a run that really catches people's eye. Every three, four years you, you do get to the Elite Eight. You do get – to the sweet 16 and then it makes you think you might have a chance to win it all. Um, I think that's about realistic for Florida because like the Dukes, the Carolinas, they make those runs and make you think they've got a shot every year. But then you also have like a lot of SEC schools, for example, that it's an accomplishment for them to just make the tournament. I think Florida's in between that somewhere. So this will be my last one before we get kicked off here because of these like little time limits here on Zoom. Um, so just kind of a very blunt and brief answer. If Florida has a very similar year, very similar year to what they had last year, what happens to Mike White? I think he'd be gone. Okay. Because part of that's hard to say, though, because you, you didn't – Obviously, the season didn't finish, and we we don't know how they would have done in the SEC and NCAA tournament. And with, with Florida, I think you can really honestly say we don't know because that team had the ability to make the Final Four. It also had the capability to lose in round one. So, um, But I, I think that the concern is the pressure from the fan base to win at a – more consistent level and a more exciting level will at that point be so great that I think Strickland might not have a choice. Um, especially you're considering he's going into his sixth year, I believe. 
um, or his fifth, his fifth year, because B- Billy Donovan left in 2015. Um, if they had just like a carbon copy of last season, I, I think that he would get fired. Yeah. Just, just a gut feeling. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. Well, I think that about does it for episode six, which it's crazy. I feel like we have not been doing this for six weeks now. Um, Even though like all these weeks have felt like months and years and everything like that, (laughs) feels like it has not been going on for that long. Um, Yeah, so I guess uh, just tell us where we can find you, Graham, a little bit about what you're up to, just to recap real quick, and then we'll let you go. Yeah, so um, I kind of have my hand in a lot of different things right now. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm shooting for the athletic department at Gator Vision at UF. Um, I am starting my high school show uh, this Friday. That's going to go on the CW17 in Jacksonville on Saturday mornings. Um, I'm still writing for Sports Illustrated, covering football and basketball. I am obviously still writing for the Alligator, covering men's basketball this semester. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much what I'm doing. You can find me on Twitter at Graham Marsh UF. Um, and yeah, th- uh, thanks guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, shout out to Chomp Talk. Shout out to Brian Cox, the GOAT. Diehard Philadelphia sports fan. Um, <laughs> that can be that can be as tough as being a Jack sports fan. So probably not as bad. But, um, but yeah, I really appreciate y'all coming on. Um, I know that uh, women in sports has been a hot uh, trend recently of people talking about it for good or for bad. And, um, I think y'all are doing your part and being pioneers for it. And I think y'all are doing a great job. Thanks. Yeah. Graham, thanks for, you know, juicing us up with a little testosterone. I think we, we, we said it before we came on, you're the first guy on the show. So, um, well, the, the, always... women in, the women in sports train will drive a lot faster if there's a little bit of testosterone that can fuel it, that actually supports it too. So. Sure. Yes, we love allyship. We love allyship. Always, always a friend of the pod. Thank you, Graham. <laughs> Absolutely.